My name is Josh Walters. I am one of the uh, teaching pastors here at Seacoast, the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus. So glad that you are here to worship with us today. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an offsite campus, wherever you may happen to be, or if you're joining us at one of those locations for the very first time, we are especially glad that you are here. This year at Seacoast, we kicked off something that we've never done before, and we called it A Year in the Word. In the past, every four to six weeks, we would do a different series, maybe based on a, a book of the Bible or a felt need in our lives or something topical like marriage or leadership, relationships, whatever it might be. But this year, we are doing A Year in the Word, and we provided everyone here at the church with a reading plan where you can follow along kind of at your own pace uh, daily. Many of you picked up a hard copy in the breezeway at your worship center. In fact, on the back of your outline sheets today, there's a link where you can download that reading plan if you uh, don't have one or haven't done so already. The plan's available on version, and it's also available on the Seacoast app. And so what we're doing each week is we follow up the, uh, the reading that we did the previous week, and the message is based on what we read. So it's been exciting. I'm curious, how many of you have the Seacoast app? A lot of folks. Okay, so for those of you who don't or may not be too comfortable with downloading apps and the whole app store situation, mom, this is particularly for you. They're watching in Columbia, so I'll walk you through how to do it. I wanna show you a little bit about what that looks like. So if you get out your smartphone, if you search for the Seacoast Church app, that's what it looks like, and you would just click on open or get whatever your screen says. It downloads onto your phone, then after you get it, once you open it, in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a little Bible icon, and you can click on that Bible icon, and once you do, it shows you that day's reading. And so if you missed a day, you can go back and grab yesterday, whatever the case. Once you click on that day's reading, on the bottom, there's a little um, kind of speaker icon that when you touch it, you can actually have it read you the Bible. So what I will do each day, I drop our kids off. I leave our house about seven o'clock. We carpool with another family. And um, once I get them all picked up and drop them off, I've got about 15 minutes uh, before I get back home. So once you click on that day's reading, it shows you a little picture of the Bible and you can click, listen to it. And this is what it sounds like. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him right, the cross. All right, that's good. Now, I only share that with you because Pastor Greg worked really hard at recording all of that audio. And <laughs> I wanna make sure that we take advantage of the opportunity. So what I'll do is I'll listen to it in the morning, and every now and then, you know, one of you will cut me off in traffic and I'll have to rewind it because uh, I get frustrated or distracted. But it's getting God's word in me. And then at some point later in the day, I'll go and get my actual Bible, go back to the reading for that day, underline any thoughts or write down any questions, circle any passages that really stood out to me. And man, I'm telling you, I don't know if it's that I'm a, an audible learner or a visual learner or maybe just a slow 
learner. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But man, his word is coming alive to me like it never has before. And so whether you're joining with us uh, and, and doing the whole reading, or maybe you're just picking one verse a day, either way, I wanna encourage you. Scripture tells us God's word does not return void. And so you will yield a return on any time that you spend in it. It has more than enough for what you need every day. So whether you started with us at the beginning of the year or if you're here today for the very first time, man, we've got uh, 52 weeks in this year. And so it's still time to join in. We hope that you will, uh, you will do so. Well, I'm excited about the word that God gave me for today. But before we jump into this weekend's message, why don't we take just a minute and pray. God, I thank you so much for this weekend. I thank you, God, for every man and woman that's here. I'm thankful for the story that you're authoring in our life for the season that we may find ourselves in today. And I pray that as we set aside this time to get in your word, that you would meet us here, that our hearts, that our minds would be open to whatever you might wanna do in us or through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I got a question for you as we get started today. Have you ever found yourself in a season in life where you just had the thought or made the statement, this is not what I thought my life would look like. Maybe you're walking through the house or walking through a store and you just kind of catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror long enough to say, really? You know, is this me? Is this it? This is not what I thought my life would look like. Katie and I met our freshman year of college at the University of South Carolina, which is God's chosen favored school of higher education. <laughs> we just had a bad decade or two, three, we'll come back, you know. And man, she fell in love with me right away. It was like she knew what she wanted, she saw it, and she went, no, I'm just kidding. I had to work for a while, but finally she came around, and uh, we dated for about a year, then we got engaged, we were engaged for about a year. Uh, which is just painful, wouldn't recommend unless you have to, but we did. And we got married Christmas of our senior year, and we had a dream of what life was gonna look like. Both of us were education majors, people uh, that had significantly impacted our lives and pointed us to God were teachers, and so we thought we're gonna be teachers, essentially so that we could be undercover missionaries and minister to students in the, in the public school. And the great thing about being a teacher is you get two to three months a year off. Come on, somebody, that is good living. <laughs> you know you want it. And so I was like, this is gonna be great. And so for us, part of the dream was that once we got out of, of school, we were gonna spend our summers abroad. And we were gonna partner with some global missions partner and we would host short-term missions trips. And it was gonna be great because we wanted seven kids and so we thought, man, our kids are gonna grow up with this global worldview. They'll see and experience how blessed we are in America, but they're also gonna see God's kingdom advance and experience a totally different kind of life. Part of our dream, I don't know why, we wanted two llamas, and we were gonna name them Larry and Leona the llama. I don't know why you get a llama. I don't know what llamas do, but it seemed like a dog in America. It was our international pet. We had named them. We were excited about it. So graduation um, our, our senior year. We had been married for five months and we found out that week and we announced to our family that Saturday that we were pregnant with our first child. Exciting, it was part of the dream. Uh, one logistical oversight when it came to having children that we hadn't processed in our dream was the need for things like insurance or income. And then <laughs> it turns out in adulting, there's a couple of important things like that that you need. And so 
It's like, you know what, babe, why don't uh, an opportunity had come about for me that I hadn't sought out and it was just seemed like, you know, maybe I should do this. And so you, you pursue the masters and, and go ahead and start the dream and I'll join in a year or two later. So the only issue that came about with that is that 14 months later, uh, we had our second child. <laughs> and so the need for insurance never went away. You know, what do you do? And so very quickly, we began to realize that the life that we were living, the life that we were gonna have didn't quite look like the life that we had always dreamed of. We didn't trade in the dream for a bad dream. It was still a good dream. Man, we loved each other, loved these kids. We were excited about life. We didn't even talk about it too much. We just kind of realized like, man, the dream we've always talked about, the llamas, you know, like, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Have any of you ever been there? Maybe life happens, time passes, and you just kind of realize that the dream you've always thought about isn't actually going to be or maybe is not the life you're experiencing. For some of you, it's a great dream to a good dream, but for some of you, man, it is a great dream to a nightmare. You stood at the altar and you said for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, and you knew you meant it. You would spend the rest of your life with that person. And then one day you came home only to learn that they had changed their mind. They didn't feel the same. And you're like, man, I've seen this happen in other people's stories, but I never would have imagined that it would be mine. Or ladies, maybe you've envisioned the home that you would always live in. And you've, you've nested in it in your mind. You've populated Pinterest pages about what each bedroom design would look like. You, you finally got the home. You hosted holiday, family gatherings, birthday parties. And it was in some way like your dreams had come true. But then something happened and you ended up having to foreclose on the house or moving away or maybe you just moved to Mount Pleasant and learned that you actually couldn't afford the house you had always wanted. You needed something much smaller, maybe with wheels on it, you know, like whatever the case. But ladies, that's a big deal for you. You realized the dream was not gonna be the life that you lived. Or you spend years of your life pursuing a degree of some kind, training and education, because you've always thought, man, I wanna be that, whatever that is, only to learn that that isn't going to be a possibility for you. And why does that matter? Primarily because the wider that gap gets, the wider the gap between what you've dreamed your life would look like and the life you're actually experiencing, the wider it gets, the more miserable you get. So what do you do at that point? Do you just stop dreaming entirely? Do you settle for the, the cards you've been dealt, kind of get used to plan B or plan C or whatever version of, of life you may be living? How do you maintain passion for life, hope for tomorrow, excitement about the future or what could be? How do you maintain a relationship with God that's, that's vibrant and life-giving? Well, today we're gonna be looking at the life of a guy named Joseph. Our reading for the week found us in Genesis 35 through 45. And man, if there is a guy in scripture whose life didn't look anything like the dream, it was him. And yet somehow he shows us how to close the gap, how to maintain a life that's attractive that people would look at and say, man, there's something different about him. He shows us several things that we need to remember when we're not living the dream. The first of which is there on your outline. When I'm not living the dream, remember, number one, that life happens to everybody. Life happens 
to everybody. I know you've heard the expression, when it rains, it pours. And man, in Joseph's life, over and over and over, it seems like he went from bad situation to worse. I bulleted out some of the events of his life. And for Joseph, this takes place over a bad decade. Have any of you ever had one of those? You know? From about ages 17 to 30. The first bullet there is just to give you some perspective on his family. Joseph was born into a dysfunctional family. Now, how many of you have a testimony on that one? A couple hands went up, you're owning that. I didn't think anybody would raise their hands, but you, but you did, so. Joseph was born into a family with four mothers and 11 brothers. Like before there were sister wives. Y'all know that would just be good TV. Like you kinda wanna see like what happens there. Joseph's mom's name was Rachel and his dad's name was Jacob and, and Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife, you know? And, so, and she actually died giving birth to Joseph's son. So Joseph was raised by his three stepmoms and 11 brothers. And, and Joseph was Jacob's favored son and all the brothers knew that because he was the firstborn of his favored wife. He gave him a coat of many colors. He distinguished him with honor. He would send his other 11 sons out to do work in the field, but keep Joseph at home. And to top it all off, Joseph had these dreams of leadership. And in these dreams, his 11 brothers would bow down to him. He had a second dream where his 11 brothers and his mom and dad bowed down to him. So they despised him for being favored and how he was treated by his father. But when he started having these dreams, man, they just hated him. How many of you have a brother Younger brother, you, you know what's up with that. It's like y'all argue and fight and play. You might even say, I hate you, you know? But they, they really hated him. Until one day, there in Genesis 37, Jacob sends Joseph out into the field to check on his brothers. And they say, hey, here comes that dreamer now. Let's kill him. And then they meant it. They despised him. So as Joseph gets up to him, they strip off his coat and they throw him down into a cistern. And then the Bible tells us they went on to eat lunch. <laughs> Can you imagine that? They decided they were gonna kill their brother. They throw him into a cistern and then they pull out sandwiches. It's like, dude, where'd you get turkey, man? It's like, my mom had it. You should have asked my mom instead of your mom. You always have salami. <laughs> Whatever, my mom packs peanut butter jelly. It's like, your mom is my mom. Stop it. You know? It's like, all the while, Joseph, down in a cistern, guys, stop until one of the brothers has a moment of clarity. He says, guys, we can't kill him. He's our brother, our own family. So let's sell him into slavery. You know? <laughs> and all the other brothers are like, yeah, you're right. You know? That'd be better. Well, about that time, this band of Ishmaelites come by. They pull Joseph up out of the cistern. And then there in Genesis 37, he's sold into slavery. He came from a house that had slaves. He left his father, his, his closest friend, the man that was for him, goes to check on him, and in a moment, his life totally changes. He's stripped and he's walking away, now a slave, where he had to be questioning, who's gonna buy me? What are they gonna make me do? Am I gonna be able to escape? Am I ever gonna see my father again? Well, he winds up in Egypt, and he's purchased by a man named Potiphar, who's one of Pharaoh's officials. And Potiphar realizes, man, there's something really different about Joseph. So slowly he begins to entrust him with more and more. And Joseph was a good looking dude. And Potiphar's wife realized that. And scripture tells us that daily she asked him to come to bed with her. And if somebody's pursuing you daily like that, you know she was doing more than flirting and persuading. It was like every other naughty, inappropriate ING word you can think of. 
She was coming after him, full court press. But Joseph, he wouldn't have any of it until one day he shows up at the house and nobody else is there to do his work and she comes on him and grabs hold of him. So he pulls out of his jacket and flees and runs. And she kind of has this, this realization of, you know what, if it wasn't gonna happen today, it's never gonna happen. And so she goes to Potiphar with his coat and says, look, this Hebrew boy you've bought into my house has come to make sport of me. So Potiphar, enraged, goes and gets Joseph and throws him in jail. He didn't deserve it. There in Genesis 38, we find Joseph sitting in a jail in a foreign land, having a conversation with a cupbearer and a baker. They've both had dreams, and even once in jail, it's like the prison warden, just like Potiphar had done, realized there was something special about Joseph, gave him leadership opportunities. Then here we see him having a conversation with this cupbearer and baker. They had had dreams, didn't know what they meant, and Joseph says, hey, tell, tell, me, your, tell me your dream, and so they do. Joseph says, here's, here's what your dreams mean. For the cupbearer, in three days, you're gonna be restored to your position, but for the baker, in three days, you'll be killed. Be encouraged, you know? <laughs> be blessed, you know? And sure enough, three days later, it comes about, and Joseph's only word to the cupbearer was, please remember me. I don't deserve to be here. I didn't do anything wrong. I had made the right decision. I didn't want anything to do with Potiphar's wife. One of my favorite passages in this story, Joseph, in talking to her, says, no one in this house is greater than me. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my master and my Lord? He didn't use his position to please himself or get something for himself. He maintained a posture of honoring God and purity. Yet here he is in prison, having this conversation, interpreting these dreams, only for the cupbearer to get out of jail. And that chapter ends by saying the cupbearer forgot all about him. Over and over and over again in Joseph's story, life happened to him. He didn't do anything to deserve it. You know, if I were to ask you there on the right side of the page to, to highlight some of your story, give me four, five, six bullets of maybe that, that awful decade that you had, that painful season, some things that happened to you in life. For some of you, you could just transfer that dysfunctional family right over to the other line. Your hands went up, you've already testified, you know. Chances are you have a testimony of some things that, some ways that life has happened to you. But there's also probably some bullets in there where life has happened by you. Maybe you made some choices, uh, you went too far, too fast in a relationship and ended up having a child and it forever changed your life. You did some things, made some choices and now you're living in the consequences of them. All of our stories are full of both ways that life has happened to us, ways that life has happened by us. But what's unique to Joseph's story, there on your outline, one while he was in Potiphar's house in Genesis 39, it says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And again, while he was in prison in Genesis 39, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So Joseph's life seems to present me with a third category. Often life happens to us, often life happens by us, but for Joseph, even in the worst of times, if God was always there with them, that third category would be that life happens for us. That there was never a day where God turned and said, oh, Joseph, man, I was busy making rainbows and I forgot about that whole Potiphar's wife jail thing, I'm sorry. 
Now, every one of his circumstances had been sifted through the hands of God. And for those of you that have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that he would be the Lord and Savior of your life, that because of his death and resurrection, having paid the price for your sin, that you can have a relationship with God, you can be certain that he is with you as well, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that in the midst of the circumstances that seem to blind everything else going on in your life, because they're all you can see, they're all you can feel, they're all that you think about, God is there with you in the midst of them. But we have to press in to say, okay, God, where are you in this? What do you have for me? John 16 there on your outline says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, trouble in our lives is a promised reality. Yet when it comes about, it's like it's a surprise to us. We think, God, I've been giving, I've been tithing. I've been generous, why am I experiencing financial difficulty? I eat healthy, I shop at Whole Foods, my food tastes like cardboard, how am I having health issues? I make the right choices, I work hard, I show up on time. My, my performance and evaluations are great at work, how could the company be closing their doors? We question how could trouble come about in our life when Jesus promised us. In this world, you're going to have it. Life happens to everybody. But for those of us who are believers, what distinguishes us from others is a certainty that God is with us, that he's not surprised by our circumstances, that he has good for us in them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. In the midst of the moments that you hate, that you'd love to forget about or flee from or turn the chapter, man, God, write a new story God has something for you there for you. So we have to remember when our life isn't looking like the dream, remember that life happens to everybody. And in the midst of those circumstances, we have to remember that number two, I can become bitter or better. I can become bitter or better. You know, this week as I listened to that passage on my phone, I tried to envision Joseph's face walking away that day. He'd come down to check on his brothers. Have you ever had a moment where you, you, your mind almost takes like a mental snapshot and you could define a season or uh, a, a moment in your life and you, you just, you can see it. Well, for me, if I'm Joseph, I envision that moment where I've just been sold for 120 shekels. That's about 10 bucks a brother. And I'm walking off a slave. I've been stripped of the coat that distinguished me of honor. I'm, I'm walking away from my father that, man, we're like so tight. And I'm looking back at my brothers, and that's, that's the look I've tried to see on his face. Man, was he crying? Was he broken? Was he angry? Those are the moments. See, it's hard for Joseph's story to really be a faith builder for us because we see the beginning and the middle and the end. We see it in its entirety, but there was something about Joseph, much like in our lives, on that day where he was walking away, that's like you when you get the call for a diagnosis that you didn't expect when life takes a turn that you didn't foresee coming, he had those moments where he did not know what was gonna happen yet. And when I think back on those seasons of my life, man, it's so easy for me to become bitter, for me to get a fur in my brow, for my fist to clench, for all of a sudden for me to start reciting memories and conversations and situations and just find myself angry and be like, God, where did that come from? For Joseph, that would've been so easy for him to get bitter. Yet we find in Genesis 39 that it appeared to be very different for Joseph. 
It says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now remember, we're not just talking about a work environment here. This isn't a boss empowering an employee to manage some aspect of the business. This is a slave who's been brought into a home and the, the head of the home saw something in this man that made him think, I can entrust everything to him. It happened in a home, it happened again when Joseph was thrown in jail there on the back of your outline. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention, no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. What I love most about Joseph's story is what this passage doesn't tell us. It doesn't say he had a very vibrant prayer life, that he studied the scriptures every day, that he had a great attitude and a good work ethic. But over and over again, we see this guy whose actual life looks nothing like the dream that he had had for himself. And when he had every opportunity to be bitter or angry or frustrated, his masters saw something in him that said, man, we can, I can entrust this guy. Think about, is there anyone in your life that you would entrust everything you own to? All of your family relationships, your calendar, how you manage your time, your finances. Is there anyone in your life? Maybe you can't think of an actual person. Maybe you just have to think through the attributes. Would they be angry, frustrated, kind of calloused by life, short-tempered, look a little hardcore? <laughs> it's like, no! They would be positive, life-giving, responsible, have a solid work ethic, have a good attitude. When you, when you leave from spending time with them, you'd feel good, it wouldn't be a drain. You wouldn't be like, oh God, thank you for getting me away from him. It's like an emotional body slam, kills me to be around him. It's like, no, but that's what we see in Joseph. Even as a slave, even as a prisoner, they saw something in him, his countenance, his personality, his, his gifting, so they raised him up in leadership. Man, for me, so often in life, when I've walked through hard seasons, when life has happened to me, or maybe life has happened by me and the consequences seem so much more severe than the action, it's so easy for me to get bitter to miss out on the opportunity to see God in it, to get better, to know that I didn't just wind up here by chance. He knew that I would be here. I remember when Katie and I first moved to Charleston. I drove down one weekend and rode around town looking for a house and I found one, called Katie, and uh, she came down the next weekend to check out the house and called me to let me know that we would not be living in the house that I had picked out. And uh, she had found another house. And so I drove down and we looked at the house and. Uh, it was actually owned by a pastor. He was there putting a for rent sign as we were driving by. He had a large family. We had always wanted seven kids. It just seemed like a God thing. I was like, okay, great. Well, we, we lived there for a couple years and uh, there came a point where his family, the pastor's family, wanted to move into this house. And we were like, hey, that's part of renting. No big deal, we understand, thank you. So one of our small groups here from Seacoast that we were in came and helped us move out of the house. And we literally cleaned ourselves 
room by room out of the house, scrubbing floors, cleaning windows, partly because, you know, we wanted to leave it better than we found it, but also because, man, dude's a pastor. We wanna bless him. So we spackled nail holes, painted walls, did the yard. I mean, the house was immaculate. So I called the, the rental agency here in town. I was like, hey, it's Josh Walters. Just calling about that security deposit. You know, we just moved out and, uh, and didn't hear back for a couple days. And so I called the pastor. Hey, pastor. This is Josh Walters, just checking in on that security deposit. Hope you're doing good. Give me a call back. Called the pastor back again. Well, then I get a call from the rental agency saying that they've received a call from the pastor asking that I not call them back (laughs) and that I'm not gonna be getting my security deposit back because of the condition we left the house in. (laughs) And I'm gonna tell you, if there was a punch a pastor in the face response station at Seacoast <laughs> every week, I'm like, how you gonna, whoa, how you gonna tell me? We ain't gonna get our security, we gonna get our security deposit back, you know, <laughs> one way or another, you know? And so, man, for a couple, I'm, a couple weeks at least, anytime I went to spend money anywhere, anytime uh, renting or landlords, or pizza, just about anything could come up, you know? And I'm quickly back in my mind like, I'm gonna tell you. I didn't take pictures of it before we left, so I couldn't prove it. Needless to say, now I take pictures of all y'all's houses and I will hook you up, you know, (laughs) if you ever get stuck for a security deposit. But I had a decision, and that is life. That's a, a silly but serious practical example. Man, we were in a tight spot financially, and we totally got stuck for a security deposit. But what is it for you? What, what conversation do you walk up in only to learn that things are not as they seem with your children, with your marriage, with your job? It's like, man, we have an opportunity in those moments where life happens to us to decide I can get bitter because maybe you've been falsely accused. You did nothing to deserve it. Or I can acknowledge that God is always with me, that God is in this. And if his plans, his dreams for me are far greater than my own, then he's got to have something for me in this. And it's possible that in order for me to have the character to sustain whatever work that God is gonna do in my life, it's gonna be the very thing that I despise. This situation or circumstance that I can't stand, that God is going to allow me to walk through so that I can live under and carry the work that he wants to do in my life. So we've gotta remember when we're not living the dream, one that life happens to everybody, That two, we have a decision in those moments that I can become bitter or I can become better. And number three, there on your outline, there is always a story behind the story. There's always a story behind the story. There's two dimensions at play. There's the physical, and that's what we see, what we hear, what we feel. That's the call that you're not gonna get your security deposit back. I'm gonna tell you right now, get my security deposit. That's the, the world we interact in. And then there's the spiritual realm. The one as believers that we know is real, that we operate in by faith, that we don't get to see or feel or touch, but we know that there's overlap. Because Joseph had a dream. He had a dream that in some way he was gonna rule his family, but God had an even greater dream for Joseph, that he would one day rule a nation. Joseph didn't know what that was. He didn't know how that dream was gonna come about, but God had to allow Joseph to suffer. This spoiled 17-year-old punk kid, he had to allow him to walk through difficult seasons in life so that he could build in him the kind of character that would allow him to sustain the dream that God had for him. Here we find him in Genesis chapter 45. The cupbearer had gotten out 
of, of jail. Pharaoh had had these dreams and he'd called in all kind of folks to try to interpret them. Nobody could. And finally, years later, the cupbearer says, oh, Pharaoh, my memory has failed me. There was a guy in prison that asked me to remember him. He actually interpreted my dream that came about when you asked me to come back and work for you. I bet he could tell you what it means. So Pharaoh calls him out of prison, tells him his dream, and Joseph says, hey, listen, all interpretations belong to God. I can't interpret your dream, but tell it to me. God will give Pharaoh what he needs. So he shares the dream, and Joseph interprets it to say, listen, there's gonna be a couple years of harvest and blessing, then there's gonna be a couple years of famine. So during this year, years of blessing, we need to store up grain so that when the famine comes, people will come to Pharaoh to buy food, and the nation of Egypt you know, will not suffer because of it. So Pharaoh talked with his officials. They all felt like, yeah, that's, that sounds good. Who, who could we have to manage this process and lead this nation other than you? No one has been able to interpret this dream. There is no one else on whom the Spirit of God appears to be like you. And so Joseph became number two in all of Egypt, only number two to give honor to the, uh, the position and seat of Pharaoh. So one day, Joseph's 11 brothers are sitting at home with their dad, and he says, what are we gonna do during this famine? Just sit here and look at each other? I've heard there's food in Egypt. Why don't you go and try to buy some food? And so this is the moment. Joseph is over this process of distributing food and the 11 brothers that if I'm Joseph, I've envisioned in my mind for the last 13 years are now before him on their knees, bowing down to him, asking for food. Joseph has the opportunity to give them what they deserve. They stripped him of his coat, threw him down in a cistern. He walked away a slave. Man, if I'm him, I've been reciting this over and over for the last decade, and now in a moment where he's risen to power and has the ability to give them exactly what they deserve. This is his response in Genesis 45. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh and Lord of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. Man, can you imagine that perspective? Like it's one thing for me to forgive someone that has wronged me, betrayed me, but for him to make it through a decade or more, of life looking nothing like the life he had dreamed of, living in a foreign land, separated from his family, enslaved and imprisoned, to be before the men who did this to him, and yet have the posture to say, listen, don't, don't beat yourselves up, because they had been. We read in the passage that it's because we did this to our brothers, this judgment is happening to us. They had carried this for as long as Joseph had. Yet he said, don't be distressed. Don't beat yourself up. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He allowed me to suffer so that a nation wouldn't have to. I'm like, man, to think through the seasons of my life that I've wanted to so quickly put behind me, the stuff that I've wanted to forget or stop or just hustle through because they were painful or lonely or depressing, to think that those were the moments that God used to build the kind of character in Joseph. Joseph didn't have a pastor, he didn't have a church, he didn't have a small group to encourage him, he didn't have a worship Pandora playlist, 
my praise jam so I can get encouraged when I'm down. I'm like, he didn't have any of that. He had these stories from his great-grandfather about this God who showed up and made a promise to them as a people. He had stories from his grandfather named Isaac of the time his dad took him to an altar and was gonna sacrifice him and trusted God to provide, and he did a ram in the thicket. He didn't have the written word of God. All he had was the spoken word of God. It reminds me in the book of Revelation that they, talking about we, overcame him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The finished work of Jesus on the cross and the story of what God had done in our lives. I look at Joseph and think, how did he maintain that kind of countenance, that kind of peace in his heart and posture, that kind of attitude that his master saw in him? It's because he had heard the spoken testimony that there is a God who is real, that no matter what you're walking through, whether life feels like it's happened to you or by you, that when you're a believer, when you've made a profession of faith in Jesus, you can be certain that life is happening for you. God has invested way too much in you, knit you together in your mother's womb, numbered the hairs on your head. He has an incredible vision, a purpose, a plan for your life. That's one of the reasons at the end of every service we read Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 as the blessing. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Immeasurably more is the God that we serve. Not the God that settles for plan B or sees you in a situation where you feel stuck, but the God who wants to use all of that to help close the gap between the death we feel, the miserable spirit we carry sometimes to allow us to experience abundant life, immeasurably more. But in order for you to step into that, when you feel like you're in the gap, man, we have to remember that life happens to everybody. We've gotta remember that I have a choice to make. I can become bitter or I can become better. And lastly, we have to remember that there is always a story behind the story a much more meaningful, impactful narrative that God is authoring. So don't you dare pick up the pen. Don't try to script a new ending. Don't try to change it, but trust that his plans for you are good if you will step forward in faith knowing that he is with you and his desires for you are immeasurably more. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Joseph's life. I thank you, God, for just an example of not a, not a parable, not a story, but an actual man God, that life happened to blow after blow after blow. Yet he maintained the kind of faith that I want in life, that whatever comes my way, that friends, family, supervisors, those around me would look at my life and say, man, there's something different about him, God, that ultimately it would be you. May that be our story. God, that as life happens to us, that we have a testimony of a God who loves us, who is with us, who is for us. I pray for everyone today as we head into response time, whatever season of life we may be in, God, we, we meet you here now. In Jesus' name, amen.